He's a good, good father. So just look around the room. That's your uh, family that you're going to spend eternity with. And today we call this heaven practice where we get together and uh, prepare ourselves for the great homecoming. Today is the day that we're going to focus on Jesus' walk into the city of Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. I do not know why. It's a mystery to me, but Palm Sunday has always been a big deal here at Nineveh Christian Church. And, and I'm wearing my Palm Sunday shirt. I want you to recognize that. For those of you who have been around a long time, this shirt is very, very old. Uh, I don't know when I first started wearing it, maybe almost 20 years ago. In fact, when I walked in this morning, there's a cantankerous uh, staff member that I won't mention his name, Will Cooper. <laughs> he saw me in this shirt and he said, that shirt's so old, Terry. I know the shirt's old, Will. And then he said, and it's too big for you. I know it's too big for me, Will. Thank you for the encouragement on Palm Sunday. So it is too big. I used to be bigger than I am now, but I'm glad it's not tight today. Okay, there's a good news to this. Palm Sunday has marked many milestones here at this church. Again, I don't know why. I can't tell you, but it means something to me. We had our first worship service in the Fellowship Hall basement on Palm Sunday, 2008. So let me tell you what happened. We were struggling with capacity. We were in that original brick building, and we've been in there several years, and we were just busting at the seams. So we had this crazy idea one night. Let's, let's pull up a hay wagon to the front door, and we'll take all the chairs and set them on the hay wagon, drive around to the fellowship hall, and we'll set up chairs in the fellowship hall for Palm Sunday and Easter, and then we'll move back. We never moved back. In that basement, that first Palm Sunday, we had 306 people in attendance in that little basement. We had our first worship service in this facility on, guess what, Palm Sunday. We started the building construction. It took us, I think, 51 weeks to build this building. And of all things, the building opened, got occupancy, Palm Sunday 2011. But instead of 306 people when we moved into the other one in an act of faith, there were 744 people here when we opened on that Palm Sunday. Then last year during the COVID pandemic, our Palm Sunday services were zero. Well, not zero. There were a few of us here doing an online thing. Yes, I feel like we were robbed. I feel like we were robbed of Palm Sunday and Easter services. And if you know me personally, you know I'm still not over that yet. We had 905 people in attendance the week before COVID hit. So we were expecting this just incredible worship event during Easter when you have a 900 people on a regular Sunday. And then the church was closed for eight weeks. And here we are on Palm Sunday 2021. We're still not back to our old numbers, but we are getting close. We're back up to about... 85%, and that leaves next Easter, uh, 
I'm challenging you to take those cards that we passed out last week. They're going to pass them out today and invite somebody to come with you. We're going to do three services this coming weekend. And we're just hoping something huge that will happen here and God will just show up in power and authority and transform people's lives. And um, we're going to do a Saturday night service at 530. All three of the services are the same, so it won't make any difference which one you come to. So some of you here might all consider coming on Saturday night to make room for some visitors who may come on Sunday. And if you are here next Sunday, I hope you're here at one of the services next Sunday, scoot in, make room. We want to be a place that opens up our doors to anyone and everyone. And we welcome them with red carpet. We welcome them, okay? So I told you that um, I feel like we were cheated out of last year. Those eight weeks happened to hit during Easter. You think Satan doesn't know that? We were robbed of Palm Sunday and robbed of Easter services. And I look from a spiritual perspective that the cancel culture tried to cancel Passion Week. But you can't cancel it. And I'll tell you, today is my protest. Today, I'm going to preach the sermon that I preached online last year and say to the culture, you cannot cancel this message. You will hear it today in person, and it will be different than last year, but it's the same premise. You might wonder why I would preach today the sermon that I preached online last week. This is my way of saying to this pandemic, you will not stop this message. You will not stop Palm Sunday. You will not stop Easter. You will not, you might have slowed it down, but it cannot be canceled. The word of God cannot be canceled. It's called Palm Sunday because they cheered and laid down palm branches in front of Jesus when he entered the city of Jerusalem. Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day as a king, like a returning from victory king. The people cried out, Hosanna, which means save us, or save us, O king. And five days later, they would cry out, crucify him. I want to go back some time before Jesus entered Jerusalem, that final time, and work our way forward to his triumphant entry on Palm Sunday. So let's begin with Luke chapter 9. Something is recorded there that has always intrigued me. Something that sets the stage for what we celebrate today, Palm Sunday. There's a word, a single word in Luke chapter 9, that when I read it, it pierced my heart. The New Living Translation and the New International Version translators both used the same English word, to describe Jesus' final trip toward Jerusalem. And here's why it's interesting. It's because when I read this to you, you need to understand that he already knows what's in Jerusalem. He knows what's there. He knows what's coming. And yet still, this word, that's what makes this word so powerful. This word stirs my soul, and I can't talk about Palm Sunday without this word that describes Jesus' plans to walk into Jerusalem knowing in advance what is in there, what's in the city. The cross, the suffering, the pain, the rejection, the anguish. Here's the verse, and here's the word. Luke 9, 51. 
as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven. Now, now let's push pause. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven. I'm going to translate that. It's getting close to time to go home. He's been 33 years in the flesh on this earth. He's from there and he's going back there. He's going home. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely, there's the word, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus knows that his time is drawing near. He knows heaven's coming. He's going home to be with his father again. He's from there. He's going back there. I think he's homesick. I think he wants to go home to the father's house. Jesus is making his final turn toward Jerusalem in this section of the gospel of Luke. There's still a lot of teaching that will happen in the final months before he actually arrives in Jerusalem. But notice the context of the word resolutely. I want you to notice the context first. When it was getting close to time to go home. It's close to the time. He knows that it's near. I can feel, I'm going home, I'm going home, I'm going home. So in that context, he resolutely turns toward Jerusalem. Now the word resolutely means he's determined. He sets his face toward Jerusalem, which means your face are your eyes, and you set your eyes on a destination. And you're not planning to go to the left or to the right, and you're not going to back up. I'm determined. I'm going to Jerusalem. Why? Because it's time to ascend to the Father. There's still a lot of teaching that's going to take place before he actually reaches Jerusalem's gate. But he has resolutely determined, set his face toward this event. This is the word that stirs my soul. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Heaven's coming, and Jesus Jesus resolutely turns his face to the place that you and I would know is great suffering. It's almost like he can hear the Father telling him, soon it's going to be time to come home. But the cross is in Jerusalem, and Jesus knows about the cross. And I want to tell you today, foundationally, I want to make a statement several times today. Here's the statement. The call to come home is bigger than the cross. The call to come home. Jesus knows that the ascension is close, and he's getting the call. As the time of his ascension drew near, Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. The call to come home, it's time to come home, is bigger than the dangers, the trouble, the suffering, the cross that's in Jerusalem. Resolutely, he was determined. He set his face toward. I've heard somebody translate it like, you tighten your jaw. You know what it is when you grit your teeth and said, I'm doing it. You're terrified maybe, but I'm gritting my teeth. I'm doing it. But what about the suffering? What about the mocking? What about the spitting in your face and the laughing and the crucify him? And what about those nails? And what about that cross? 
See, I'm convinced that Jesus could see all of that in his future. So on these two things, he could see both. He could see the suffering and he could see the ascension. He could see the suffering. He saw the cross. He saw the horrors of that last week. But he also saw that after the horrors are over, I'm going home. And the call to come home was greater than the suffering that was before the ascension. That's going to be important later, so put that in your heart. The call to go home, to come home, is greater, bigger than the cross. Resolutely. To be determined and to set your face on going to the place where you will find your life's purpose. Where was Jesus' life purpose? Jerusalem. He was born for this. But it is also the same place that he will find his reward. And what is his reward? I'm going home to be with the Father. To the place where you can find your way home. For Jesus, he knew something. And listen, this is important too. Jesus knew that the only place on earth that he could find his way home was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But what about us? What about us? What about setting our sights and determining our future course in life? That's why we're here today. Not just to, to listen to what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but to apply what he did 2,000 years ago to the church today, the body of Christ. It is very important that you and I find this resolutely moment before the suffering begins. It is important that you find this lock your jaw, set your face moment before the suffering hardship ever takes place. It would be several months before Jesus would walk into Jerusalem for that last time. But his mind and his life's course had already been decided. No matter what, and when I read that from Jesus, no matter what, no matter what happens, I'm going to complete the assignment of my Father. Because only by completing this assignment in Jerusalem will I get to find my way home. And I want to go home. From Jerusalem, I will go home. I'm going to say it again. The call to come home is bigger than any cross you will ever be asked to carry. The ascension into the presence of his Father was in Jerusalem. It would happen on the Mount of Olives, but it would happen just past the cross of suffering. But you would have to go through the cross of suffering to get to the Mount of Olives, to get to the ascension in Jerusalem. The resurrection from the grave from the dead. All of that is in Jerusalem. All of that is on the other side of the suffering. It's on the other side of the cross. Everyone wants to go directly to the Mount of Olives and get the ascension, but you've got to go through the suffering, through the testing, through your resolutely moment to find this place where you will ascend into the presence of God. He must, Jesus knows, he must go through Jerusalem to go home to the Father. So he resolutely set his face, his course to Jerusalem. 
In fact, the Hebrew writer puts it like this, Hebrews 12, 1. He describes Jesus' decision-making. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us. Now, how does it apply to us? What's this resolutely moment look like to us? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, that's locking your jaw, setting your face on a direction. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance, that's resolutely, the race that God has set before us. How? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So when Jesus resolutely set his eyes toward the cross, me, you, we set our eyes on him. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, why did Jesus resolutely go to Jerusalem? Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He knows, he knew that he had to go through Jerusalem to go home. The call to come home was bigger than the cross. Because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. The time of his ascension was drawing near. He resolutely moved toward the event that preceded the ascension, the gateway. Listen, church, there's a spiritual issue here. The gateway was Jerusalem. Now, it's our turn to resolutely set our sights on our ascension. Let that sink in for a moment. On this Palm Sunday, I tell you it is our time to set our sights on our ascension. Jesus, knowing his ascension was near, set his sights, locked his jaw, set his face resolutely toward a place, a purpose, a mission. Now it's our turn to resolutely set our sights on our ascension. This pandemic has caused many people to take a new look at their life. You need to do this resolutely thing before the time of suffering begins, or you might turn your back on Jerusalem's calling. And what is Jerusalem's calling? What is it that we are to resolutely set our face toward today? And what did the pandemic do, and what is it doing that might have you take your eyes off of resolute Jerusalem, your place where you will ascend to the Father? I want to search for that. Jesus in Luke 9.22 describes his resolute moment and my resolute moment in the same text. What I'm supposed to set my sight toward resolutely. Let's start with verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He knows it in advance, and yet he still goes to Jerusalem. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders. He'll be rejected by the leading priest. He'll be rejected by the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, 
Somebody say hallelujah. On the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And then he said, that's his resolute moment, right? It's going to happen. It'll happen in Jerusalem. They're going to hate me. They're going to put me to death on the cross. But on the third day, resolutely, I will rise. And then he looks at the crowd and says this to us. We are the crowd. If any of you wants to be my follower, how many of you want to be a Jesus follower? Raise your hand. Come on, come on. I got to get you involved here. Y'all give me the funny look today. <laughs> Maybe it's the shirt. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. And you got to go get that cross. It's in Jerusalem. Listen carefully. You must turn from your self-centered life, your selfish ways, and you must take up your, your, what he's got one. He just described his, right? You must take up your cross daily. Now, I've turned from my self-centered life. I've taken up daily this cross. I didn't want to go to Jerusalem, but that was the call. I don't want the cross, but that's the only way you can go home. And then you follow me. Because he is home. So what if I don't? What, what if in the, in the trials of life, what if in the suffering and in the opposition and the world cancel culture, what if I don't? Here we go. Next verse. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. I don't want to give up my control of my life. I like being selfish. You'll lose your life. You must give up your selfish ways, take up a cross and follow me. If you don't, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost and destroyed? What if, you, what if you get all of the riches the world has, you refuse Jerusalem, you refuse Christ, you refuse the cross, you refuse to follow him, what happens? You're, you're not going to get to go home. Because only through Jerusalem will you get to experience your ascension to the Father's house. Now, listen, here's where I'm going. That was Luke chapter 9. What I just read was Luke chapter 9, the same chapter, the same context that Jesus described his resolutely moment. Luke chapter 9 also describes our resolutely moment. I just described it to you. The Son of Man must suffer many things, but what about us? Go down to verse 17. Here comes the opposition. This is what Jerusalem suffering looks like. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. There's a movement in the church right now that thinks that if we'll just back off of this a little bit, everybody will like us. If we, if we just, just quit bringing this up, we can become friends with the world. It's a dangerous trap. Because Jesus told us in advance that what Jerusalem will look like what this place of hardship and suffering is that you must go and find that cross. You must deny yourself. And in there, you'll find your ascension. That's where Jesus found his ascension. That's where he went home through Jerusalem. 
verse 17, everyone will hate you because you're my followers. But not a hair of your head will perish by standing firm. By standing firm, what will happen, church? You'll win your souls. You'll win your souls. Jesus knew in advance that he would be rejected and hated by the world. But what about us today? I don't want to be rejected. I don't enjoy being hated by people. I don't enjoy when I hold to a biblical truth and the culture tries to cancel me and cancel the truth. I find no joy in that. But in that moment, I have to decide who I am and what I hold to be true. Is there an authority above me, above you, above us, above all? And has that authority spoken? Jesus knew what was coming. And yet he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knew there they would hate him. And yet he still went to Jerusalem. He knew what was coming and so do you. So do you. If you believe the word of God, you also know what's coming. 2 Timothy 4.3, the apostle Paul tells Timothy what it'll be like in the last days. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. I can tell you folks, we're there. They will follow their own desires, and they'll look for teachers who'll tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear, and they will reject this. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet, and the world will reject this, and they'll follow myths. Where do you think this new cancel culture is going? Let me ask you today, after a year of pandemic and a year of canceling out anybody who disagrees with those who have some type of power, some type of platform, where do you think this cancel culture is going? They will attempt to eliminate the truth, and the problem with that is the truth is not just an ideology, the truth is a person. The truth has a name, Jesus. Say his name out loud. That's the truth. They want the church to go along with the cancel the truth culture. And this becomes our Jerusalem moment where we decide who we are and what we hold true. We must resolutely set our sights on passing through the culture that will picture opposition, oppression possibly, persecution maybe. I don't know to find our place at the ascension when we get to go home to the Father. Jesus knew that he would be crucified in Jerusalem, but he also knew that he would rise from the dead in Jerusalem. And the call to go home is bigger than the cross. But what about us? What did you I know if you've come to church any length of time, you've heard a preacher, you've heard somebody say Jesus' famous statement that if any of you wants to be my disciples, you must deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow me. I want to ask everybody a question. Please ponder it in your own heart. What did you think taking up a cross meant? What did you think it would mean? In 1 Peter 2.21, we get a snapshot of something about that question. For God called you and I to do good work. God called us to do good. Even, it means you do what is right. 
Even if it means suffering, you do what is right. Just as Christ suffered for you, he, Jesus, is our example. And you must follow in Jesus' steps. Well, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, preacher. Jesus' steps resolutely took him through the suffering to the cross. And his ascension followed his resolutely moments. You must follow his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he was suffered, when he was insulted, when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who, was all, who always judges fairly. He personally carried my sins, your sins, in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live to do what is right. And by his wounds, you and I have been healed. We cannot be born again until we are willing to resolutely die to our self and our sin nature. I want to say it again. You and I cannot be resolutely born again. This transforming work power of God until we're willing to resolutely die. What did you think the take up your cross meant? A necklace? A jewelry? You have to die. You die a spiritual death. You die to yourself. We cannot experience this new life in Christ until we resolutely die to the old life. To the old life, the old person, the old sin. Jesus resolutely turned his face toward Jerusalem because he knew the ascension into glory was in Jerusalem. From, listen, from and through Jerusalem, Jesus would go home to his father. And he wanted to go home. You and I must resolutely set our face toward our Jerusalem and the ascension to our home with the Father that will follow. And the problem is many people in the modern American church have become so comfortable here. You have made your life's purpose here, and you've lost sight of the fact that our mission is to resolutely one day, hopefully soon, go home. Jesus, knowing the ascension was near, resolutely set his face to Jerusalem. Yes, there will be opposition. When you do that, when you come to that point where you're willing to deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow him, there will be opposition. Even inside your own heart, your own heart, your own flesh, your own nature will oppose it. Because the world has rejected Jesus and the truth of God's Word, it will also reject you. The stone the builders rejected, God's Word has said, has become the cornerstone. I preached a sermon called Living Stones here on February 23rd this past year, three weeks before the coronavirus hit, four weeks before we were forced to close our on-site services on March 22nd. The last sermon, I shared this, I think, last week, the last sermon I preached on-site was on March 15th, and the title was The New Hard Life. Now, do you think I knew what was coming? I had no idea what was coming, but God did. The last sermon I preached before we shut down for eight weeks was titled The New Hard Life. I didn't know we'd be shut down for eight weeks in, in the pandemic for a coming year. 
God did. On February 23rd, I told you that something was coming that was going to rock your world. Go back and listen to the video. And what's interesting, that comment was not in my notes. And I said it twice, and I have no idea even now why I said it except looking backwards. Something's coming that's going to rock your world. Now, I doubt, I'm going to tell you, listen carefully. I'm not acting like I knew what was coming. I didn't, but he did. He did. I made that rock your world statement before the pandemic started based on this scripture from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2.6. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone where? Say it out loud. Jerusalem. God says, I'm going to place a cornerstone in Jerusalem. Chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. Now, now let's pause. God, the Father, did something. It was all preordained. He placed a cornerstone in Jerusalem that anyone who stands on this cornerstone, this rock that doesn't move, you stand on this cornerstone, you'll never be put to disgrace. You'll never fail. You'll, you, you have victory because of him. But he also outlines what happens if the rock, the cornerstone, you reject. Which means, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to take up a cross. I'm not going there. That, that's a picture of suffering. I just want to go straight to the ascension. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble. What? God put him there to help you, to stand upon him so that you would not be moved in this world. But the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall down, they stumble. Why? Why are they stumbling over Jesus? Why are they go to Jerusalem and they could stand on the cornerstone of God, but instead that cornerstone trips them. They fall over him. Why? It's here, right here. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. So they meet the fate that was planned for them. I believe this pandemic was a wake-up call for the, from the cornerstone of Jerusalem. Do you hear me? I'll say it again. I believe this one-year-long pandemic is a shaking. It's a wake-up call from the cornerstone that God has placed in Jerusalem. The church has been and is being pruned. Do you know that? The church is being pruned. Why? Because God's mean? No. He plans his bride to bear much fruit. And she bears much fruit when he prunes her. Those who put their trust in Jesus will never be disgraced, ashamed, or disappointed. But those who continue to reject this Jerusalem, this Jerusalem cornerstone, will be crushed by the very stone that God sent to save them. God placed this stone in Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem is a picture of suffering. It's a picture of a hardship. It is in Jerusalem that they rejected the prophets. It is in Jerusalem that they rejected the Messiah. It's a picture of the world's rejection of the plan of God. But God, in the middle of all the rejection, placed a cornerstone, a man. This Jerusalem is a place of suffering. And I tell you from personal experience, you'll lose friends there. Because they don't want to go to Jerusalem. If you look around and say, I'm going to this Jerusalem. I'm going to stand on this cornerstone that God placed in Jerusalem. I'm not going to Jerusalem. You're one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those. I'm one of those. But that's the only, that's the only place that has the cornerstone. God placed that cornerstone in Jerusalem. And, it, and from that cornerstone, there will one day be a great ascension. But it's in Jerusalem. I grew up in a church, Corinth Church, and we sang an old hymn, We're Marching to Zion. I still remember that song in my head. It went something like this. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. This is my resolutely song today. No, I'm not going to sing it. This is my resolutely song today. I am marching to Zion because I know that God placed a cornerstone in Zion. And anyone who puts their trust in that cornerstone will be saved. But the stone that the builders rejected became the capstone. It became the meaning of life itself. And those who reject him, the stone that he'll be the stone that makes them stumble and the rock that makes them fall. I have resolutely, today I testify, I have resolutely set my face toward Zion. Because the ascension into the presence of God will be found in Zion, Jerusalem. The call to come home is greater than any cross this world will ever offer. Listen carefully in case some of you get too literal on that point. I am not saying everyone needs to travel to physical Jerusalem. Like Muslims have to take a pilgrimage to Mecca once in their lifetime. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual Jerusalem. The place where you must find your cross. Your cross. Your death. And your resolutely resurrected life. It's the place where you will find your way home. It's Jerusalem. That's how you get to the Father, through this cornerstone that God placed in Jerusalem. You must follow Jesus. If any of you wants to be my disciples, you must deny yourself, take up a cross, follow me. Well, he went into Jerusalem, became the cornerstone. Follow him and you'll experience the ascension to the Father. But if you reject him, you won't ascend to the Father. You won't ascend to the Father. Now, 
We can fast forward from Luke 9's resolutely moment to Jesus' Palm Sunday event. This wonderful event is recorded in all four Gospels. And I'm going to stick with the Gospel of Luke today because Luke gives one more, one more event we must look at before Jesus actually walks into Jerusalem. In fact, the Gospel of Luke tells us this is the last thing that happens before Jesus walks in with palm branches and the donkey and all of that. Jesus is just outside Jerusalem, and I want you to look at this picture because this is a picture I have hanging in my office too. What I'm about to read to you is described in this scene. He has resolutely set his mind to Jerusalem, which means he's going there knowing that inside Jerusalem is the cross. But he also knows he's the cornerstone in which God will build all of his family upon. And the Bible says that in this moment, Jesus weeps. He's not weeping because he's going to die on Friday. He's weeping because they're going to miss it. He's weeping because they're going to miss it. They're not going to get it. They're going to reject the king. They're going to reject the cornerstone. They're going to reject Jerusalem's call to what? Find your cross and follow him. Luke 9, 1911. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, okay, he's just about to get to the city, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. See, the people thought that that he was just going to be king and, and sit and run the Romans out and just take over the world. He, he tells the story I'm about to read to you to correct that false impression that it's all going to happen now. And because Jerusalem is near, he tells a story about heaven, about the kingdom of heaven. He's revealing a time of waiting. The kingdom will not come with the cross. It'll come later, later when he comes as reigning king. I can only give the summary version of this particular Jesus teaching, and yes, it has everything, with, everything to do with Palm Sunday and resolutely Jerusalem. Because he was nearing Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, triumphant entry, Jesus tells this story. You got to hear this story. The last story recorded in Luke's gospel before he walks into the city. Verse 12. Jesus said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. Remember, Jesus is telling this story just before he resolutely enters the city of Jerusalem. The king, the nobleman in this story, let there be no doubt, is Jesus. He's telling the story about himself. The king called together his servants and divided up 10 pounds of silver between them before he left. The king gave clear instructions to them all. Here's the instruction. Invest this for me while I am gone. I am giving you something that you now must multiply before I come back. And the king leaves. Why do you think Jesus is telling this story right before he enters Jerusalem on Sunday and he will die on Friday? Verse 14. But his people hated him. 
What? His people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. This nobleman was called away to be crowned king, but his people hated him, and they rejected him as their king. We don't want this guy to be our king. No, 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 no. But there's one big problem about this rejection of this king. We don't want him to be our king. You know what the big problem is? He's going to be king whether you like it or not. He's going to be king whether you vote for him or not. Because he is king. Jesus continues his story with the king's return. But now to settle up the accounts. Remember, Jesus is telling the story just before he resolutely walks into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Let me summarize what happens next for the sake of time. You can read it later in Luke 19. The first servant has made 10 times the original amount that was given him by the departing king. He multiplied 10 times, tenfold, what the king gave him before he left. And here's what the returning king says. Well done. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with a little. I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. 10 cities. Woo. The second servant, he comes to the king and he says five times. I have multiplied five times the original amount that was given by the departing king. And what did the king say to this guy? Well done, the king said. You will be governor of five cities. And there's a third servant. Remember, there's ten servants mentioned altogether. The third servant comes in and he's done nothing. Nothing. Nothing with that which he received from the departing king. In fact, this servant has kept the king's gift hidden the entire time. Everything the king gave him has been multiplied by zero. Nothing. So I'm going to ask everybody a question. Do you think this guy's going to get 10 cities or five cities? Huh? 10 cities, five cities? Let me read it to you, verse 22. You wicked servant. The king roared. Your own words condemn you. Why? Why? If you knew. There's the key words. You knew. And I'm looking at this room today, and so do you. And so do you. You knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And if you're in the room today and you think this is about money, you still aren't getting it. The, sir, the third servant never understood the word resolutely. This is my conclusion. He never understood the word resolutely, where you set your face on Jesus, on Jerusalem's cornerstone. Never setting his face toward the king, never accepting the authority or the calling of the king, and by all means, never expecting that the king's actually coming back. And I'm going to actually stand in front of this king, and I'm going to give an account to this king, but what I have done with what he gave me, really? 
Well, he told you in advance. He told you in advance that you were going to stand in front of him. And you resolutely rejected it. But that's not the main reason I'm reading this to you on Palm Sunday during a pandemic. What I'm reading next is. Do you remember there were 10 servants? We've only covered three on this Palm Sunday Eve event from the Gospel of Luke. Now, verse 24. Then turning to the others. Okay, he's now addressing the crowd. The other standing nearby the king ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they were given, even more will be given, but those who do nothing. Even what little they have, you're going to lose it. It's going to be taken away. And for these enemies of mine, here's the reason I preached this sermon on Palm Sunday. And for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. There are some people listening to me right now that cannot imagine those harsh words from Jesus. You know why? Because you have lived your whole life letting the world tell you what the Bible says rather than reading it for yourself. And allowing the Holy Spirit to tell you what the Bible says. What did Jesus say? And for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in. Execute them right here in front of me. Now for my big question today on Palm Sunday. And I'm asking everybody, would you just be honest with yourself? You don't have to answer out loud, but would you be honest with you? Do you really want Jesus to be your king? Are you sure? Do you know that Luke reveals this to be the final story of Jesus before he resolutely walks into Jerusalem? Have you? Have you resolutely set your life's purpose on Jesus' Jerusalem, this cornerstone of God? Because it is the only way home. Now, notice the very next verse in the Gospel of Luke. This is how I know this is the last story recorded before the triumphant entry. Verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As they came to the towns of Bethage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Going to the village over there, he told them, as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So they went and found the coat, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that coat? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Now, it's the Gospel of John that actually mentions the palm branches. So how did Jesus know about this young, never-ridden donkey? How do you know? And why did the donkey owners just go along with this donkey capture? Why? Resolutely had taken over Jerusalem. Listen carefully. 
God also has resolutely moments. Resolutely has taken over Jerusalem. God's resolute prophecy was being resolutely fulfilled. The donkey scene had been resolutely prophesied by Zechariah some 500 years before Jesus was even born. Zechariah 9.9, 500 years before Christ, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he is humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat. It's unstoppable. Do you understand? It's unstoppable. What God has said is going to happen. He's going to be king. You can't stop it. The world can't cancel him. It can't cancel his word. Resolutely has taken control of Jerusalem and rejoicing and shouting has begun. Next verse, 36. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When they reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. You know, blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. The previous scene, Jesus says, and for those who reject me as their King, bring them in and execute them in front of me. He is the dividing line of all humanity. Zechariah's resolute prophecy is being fulfilled in Zion that day. The king was arriving on a donkey. Hosanna, blessings on the king who comes to save us. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest heaven. In that Sunday moment, it would be very easy to forget about Friday's approaching reality. Did everyone there that day celebrate Palm Sunday? Did they celebrate the coming king? Did everyone claim him, want him, accept him as king that day? No. Verse 39, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying these things like that. He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. I'd like to be there and video that one. So here's my summary. Do you want Jesus to be your king? Are you sure about that? Have you resolutely set your face toward Jerusalem? Have you met this cornerstone king? You will meet this king one way, one place. Listen carefully. You will meet this king one way and in one place. At a cross in Jerusalem. That's where you, not him, you must go. Your cross is your Jerusalem. You must deny yourself, take up your cross to follow him. Your cross is your Jerusalem, your Zion, your resolute moment of life eternal. This is the only way to the ascension that is to follow the cross. This is the only way any of us go home. You must go home through Jerusalem. Does everyone survive in Jerusalem? No. Jesus' final story before entering Jerusalem had 10 people in it. That story ended well for 
too. Is anybody listening to me? Jesus' final story before he walking into Jerusalem had 10 people. It ended well for two. Absolute horror for one. And I'm not sure about the other seven. So I'm going to ask you, do you think everyone goes to heaven? Do you think everyone gets an ascension into the presence of the Father? Do you think everyone goes to the Father's house? The Bible is clear. Jesus didn't want to go to Jerusalem or the cross. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He did not want to die. He did not want to suffer. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he was made like us in every way. He didn't want to suffer. He didn't want the pain. But he resolutely set his face toward the perfect will of God. And then he turns and says, you must do that too. Set your face. I'll go with you. I'll be in you. I'll give you the power. But he will not make you turn your face toward Jerusalem. For the joy that was on the other side of Jerusalem's cross, what is it? Home with the Father. I get to go home. If I look at the audience today, I have to tell you one of the most dangerous things about the American church is we got way too comfortable here. We got way too much stuff. We got way too much comfort going on here. And we don't know what suffering is. We don't know what a hardship is. And the problem with that is, well, what's the problem? The problem is this, only this. This becomes too much like home, and you take your sight off of the real home. You get way too comfortable to the things here. And you can't serve two masters. Luke 9, 51. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As the time draws near for us, have you so resolutely said, be honest, come on. Is that you? Can you say right now, I have resolutely set my sights on Jerusalem. I'll tell you personally, I figure I'm somewhere in the fourth quarter of my life right now. This shirt's not the only thing getting old. <laughs> but I can tell you with all of my heart, I have resolutely set my face toward Jerusalem. I am purposefully fixing my eyes on that cornerstone. Because the call to come home is larger than any cross in Jerusalem. That scene, the, he's, he's on the Mount of Olives. This is looking east. And the Bible says one day, Zechariah 14 says one day he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. He's going to walk down through the Kidron Valley. He's going to go in the Eastern Gate. And he's going to take his seat on David's throne. Here's the way he's going to say, it's mine. All of it's mine. And for those who didn't want me to be their king, you will lose in a way you never comprehended imaginable a loss because you will lose everything. But for those who have in advance accepted him as their king and resolutely set their eyes upon him, his kingdom that is here now in our hearts and the kingdom that is coming to this earth one day soon, it'll be the most glorious day you've ever known. I live with great expectancy regarding the return of Christ. I believe still to this day and hope that I will see the Lord's return in my lifetime.
But I also say I don't expect it to be easy from here on out. I believe the cancel culture is coming for the church. And you better have resolutely set your sight on the cornerstone in Jerusalem before the cancel culture comes for you. I believe it's coming for the church. It's coming for you where you live. It's coming for you in your workplace. It's coming for you in your schools. Cancel what? Cancel this. Everything I have told you today came from this. Everything came from this. I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation. I can't hardly get out of my mind that last scene before Jesus walks in on Sunday. He's passed out all of these blessings to all of these people. And then he goes and gets crowned king and comes back. And some of them were expecting him, preparing for his arrival. Multiplied 10, multiplied 5. And there's a third guy. I don't know whether he just never thought he was coming back or just lazy or just stupid. I don't know. But one day the king came back. And one day the king's coming back. And when I say that, I look at the eyes of people and I just, I'm being honest, I wonder how many people sitting in this room today actually believe what I said, that he's going to come and stand on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. And all dominion, power, and authority is going to belong to him. And you're going to stand in front of him and you're going to give an account. And I'm going to stand in front of him and I'm going to give an account. And knowing that in advance has given me a resolute heart to prepare for that moment. So we're going to do something. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And that song is the, the Son of Heaven is the title, but the, the course is Behold Him. The Son of Heaven, Behold Him. Would you know what it means? Look at Him. Look at Him. On this Palm Sunday, look at Him and decide who you are. Look at Him. Decide what's the purpose of your life. What are you doing? What are you doing? Invitation's open. Let's stand.